Welcome to the second half of the new top 50 IVI. I shouldn't say top 50. I said this the last podcast. It wasn't the top 50. It's the top prospect rankings uh, for under or official underscore IVI on Twitter, Indians Baseball Insider. I'm Justin Latta, and after a long absence, Willie Hood is back to do back-to-back podcast with me. Willie, we're getting the most out of you after uh, some time off the podcast. Absolutely, Justin. Uh, just glad to be back and uh, able to join you today. Life can kind of draw you away sometimes, and uh, it's needful to take care of things, take care of family. Um, and that's kind of where I've been recently, just taking care of some things with family and making sure all of that was getting taken care of uh, first. Um, we are going to be back talking baseball with you again, Justin. It is. We're, we're glad you're able to take care of that. And we're glad to have you uh, on back-to-back episodes uh, for the first time in some time because, uh, as we noted in the last podcast, we went over a lot of prospect-related things. We talked about the Kyle Nelson call-up. We talked about the additions of Owen Miller, Joey Cantillo, Gabriel Arias, and we talked about some of the other new faces that were in the top 50 prospect. Uh, we keep calling it top 50, but it's really not. The top prospect rankings, I keep saying that rather. Um, we talked about some of the new guys that are in there. Um, so we kind of we kind of covered Burns. I'm sorry, uh, we did cover Burns actually quite a bit. We we covered Arias, Cantillo, and Owen Miller in the last podcast. Um, so what we're really into here is kind of the top uh, 25. I mentioned Emmanuel Classe last podcast. Anyway, Morgan, those guys are in the top 30. Who are some other guys that we should be looking at as we go up this list? Uh, we'll go in, in kind of groups of 10 here. So at 30, we have uh, Angel Martinez, uh, Eli Morgan at 29, Class A 28. We have Bobby Bradley down at 27, Cody Morris 26, Yu Chang 25, Carlos Vargas 24, Miller 23, Lonnie Torres Jr. 22, uh, 2020 draft pick Logan Allen at 21, and Petey Halpin, uh, a 2020 draft pick. At 20, I know the first guy on this list I'm going to want to talk about is Cody Morris. Uh, is anybody you want to talk about from that group of 10 first? Angel Martinez. Um, he's a guy I'm very high on. I, I think I had him in the latter part of my teens um, in my rankings. Um, he is the son of, oh, is it Sandy Martinez? The Yes. From, from the uh, Washington Nas- National. So he's kind of got uh, – Major League Bloodlines, if you will. Um, very intelligent, instinctual, shortstop. Some people say he may end up a utility guy. He hit for average. He drew a lot of walks last year. So you get a high-level, advanced um, hitter. Uh, he understands positioning, has a strong arm at shortstop. I think he, you know, I think he's a guy that will kind of be like Rocchio in that he has that advanced ability and will probably move quickly because of that. Um, you know, his talent may, may be limited as far as driving the ball, hitting a lot of home runs. I don't expect that for him, but I do expect him to get on base. I do expect him to hit for a, a relatively high average, um, probably an above average type of uh, hitter who I think has a, a potential to stick it short. And if he doesn't, you know, I could see a, a utility role in his future. 
Yeah, switch hitter who has not played out of the um, Dominican camp quite yet. So someone I think we definitely want to get more eyes on when we can. But you're right, definitely someone who can move fast. He's only 18. He'll be eight, uh, 19 at the turn of the year. Um, just another one of those guys that, that sits at shortstop. He could be an interesting guy who, who if he plays a utility role, if he plays you know, all the infield positions very well and has a, has a nice hit tool, uh, like you said, Major League Bloodlines, definitely excited to see that. Uh, we'll see where he fits in shortstop-wise. It's going to be interesting for him uh, next year because I think at this point we're pretty sure that Mahoney Valley has played its last game as a Cleveland Indians minor league affiliate. So I would guess they'll start out in Arizona. Uh, he might even be there now for all we know. He could be in Arizona now or he could be in Arizona um, soon. You know, because minor league baseball, uh, we did see from Baseball America reporting that teams will be able to have instructs this year, and teams can probably choose from their spring training complex or the alternate site complex. And for the Indians, that'll be Arizona. They will not stick around um, in East Lake probably much longer. I would guess they'll probably hang out and train there um, until the Indians are out of the playoffs. But they'll probably send guys like George Valera and. Um, Daniel Spino, Ethan Hankins to Arizona once the regular season ends, and, and they'll keep some other guys who could serve as playoff depth uh, around after that. But uh, yeah, Angel Martinez, I'll be curious to see where he where he goes next year. Um, the one guy, like I said, I wanted to talk about Cody Morris uh, with you. On, uh, you're high on Martinez in this grouping. I'm high on Cody Morris. I, I actually, when I was reviewing Joey Cantillo's start, or a couple of them uh, for the report, I happened to click on a uh, an outing that Cody Morris faced him. And I, I think Cody Morris next year is going to be the guy that makes the leap up the starting pitching board for us. Uh, the fastball gets up to 95. It's going to be a question if he, if he holds it late and starts. Um, and if he can hold up over the innings. The innings have not really extended him. They didn't let him pitch in 2018 because he had a, a deep run to the College World Series that year. And then they, they really held him back innings-wise last season. But that'll be a thing for him to tackle next season. The fastball's good. If anything, you know, it's got good arm side movement. If anything on Morris, his fastball can be a little too hittable. Uh, for the arm side movement it does have, it just really lacks um, – it can be flat, I guess, at times. It does have arm side movement when it's good, but it can be flat. I think it's hittable. The curveball is really good. A traditional 12-6 curveball throws it for strikes. I think the changeup has a lot of potential uh, to be a great third pitch for him. And he's got really good command. I think, for me, Morris is a guy that he's at 26 for us now. I can easily see doing this experiment next year, hopefully um, in the second half of the season after Morris has had the ability to pitch at Lynchburg and Akron or maybe just Akron next year. That means we have minor league baseball and we have time to see them. But I think he's a guy who could uh, jump into the top 20 next year. I, I will go so far as to say I would not be surprised to see him into the teens. And when I say teens, I'm specifically mean 15 and above. I, I think that uh, Morris is a potential number three starter long term. Um, if I remember correctly, he may have had a shoulder strain or something that kept him out his draft year. Um, he fired, he, they fired him up so to speak, got him ready, and then he had a, a bit of a tweak, and they decided not to pitch him. And I, I could be mistaken on that 
on that end, everything blurs together after a while. But um, when you're an information gatherer like myself, you know, it, it, some of it gets confused. But I, uh, <laughs> I definitely think he's a, a, a very talented arm. I will say that Morris, Hunter Gaddis, and Adam Scott are the three college-drafted arms to watch from the last few seasons. And that's not including the draft picks from this most recent draft um, which produced Tanner Burns, obviously Mason uh, Hickman, who have already talked about, and then Logan Allen. Should I call him the second or from FIU? Um, <laughs> Logan Allen is a guy that low nineties, um, very athletic, can run the fastball up to ninety four. Has a circle change up that's an out pitch for him. He's a guy that I think um, can easily be a fourth or fifth starter, and I think with the Indians' development, if he flashed as a number three, it would not surprise me. Yeah, and for right now, Logan Allen of FIU is a 21 in that group we just talked about. Lenny Torres, too, we should probably throw this out there. I know a lot of people know who he is, and especially in the prospect community. Hasn't had a chance to pitch, really, uh, because of Tommy John surgery last year and obviously the shutdown this year. So tough for him, but if we had had a chance to see him pitch this year, I wouldn't be surprised if he's lucky. You're talking about Tanner Bird, or I'm sorry, uh, Cody Morris being the team's same with Lenny Torres. I think I know you like Lenny Torres. I think a lot of other people do as well. I think the only reason he sets a 22 for us is just the fact that this is his second year in a row not pitching. Um, I, I can't say it's fair to hold that against him because the kid's got an incredible upside. But at least for me personally, I just haven't seen a lot of him. And it's, it's hard for me to pound the table saying he needs to be higher because of potential when he's a teenager who – comes from a cold-weather state, didn't have to rely on on good secondaries because in New York, when you throw 95, 96, um, it get, you can get away with a lot of things. But he's somebody who, at 22, a year from now, like Cody Morris, could look very low on our list. And there's video of uh, Therese building his arm back up, posted on Twitter. Uh, for folks that want to see that, you know, you can search that out. I, last I heard, and this is several months ago, but he was up to 94. Um, before injury, he was mid-90s like that, 92, 95, and would flash 97 on occasion. I think he probably gets back there. He wasn't quite back, wasn't a full year out from the injury when I heard where he was at. Um, I think the fat, or the or um, I think the slider is probably an ab above average pitch, and then the changeup is what needs the, the development. And then, you know, with the caveat that it's been almost two years now, as you said, for him pitching, um, he is a guy that definitely needs to be in the instructs, but there's a high upside arm here. Um, a lot of talent, and we shall see where that carries him. Um, you know that I really like Carlos Vargas, the fastball combo. Every time I saw him, he sat around 95. I don't think I ever saw him below 95, and he was very consistent, 95, 96, 97. Um, the slider is an out pitch for me. You got um, two-plane movement on that, and then the changeup lags behind. Um, if his changeup doesn't come around, you're talking about a potential um, back-end type of arm for the bullpen. Um, when I saw him, he did get on top of that changeup and tried to – he seemed to push it to where he wanted it. Um, and you could physically see his hand, you know, his grip and all of that. Um, I've watched a lot of video on him and, and having seen him five times last year, you know, I'm, I'm pretty com confident that he could be a, a big time arm if that change up comes around. 
Yeah, and at worst, he winds up being one. I know we, I know we joked about this. Uh, I think the last time we podcasted together was, well, at the worst, he could be a, a really good reliever. But that, that's the truth. <laughs> the truth with Carlos Vargas is if things don't work out for him as a starter, man, he could be a really good late-inning reliever because oh, then you're talking 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider. Uh, and the next group of 10 here. So let's let's move up there. Uh, we have Luis Oviedo at 19, Jose Fermin 18, Carson Tucker 17, Logan Allen, uh, the, the pitcher the Indians acquired a year ago from San Diego, who's been up. Gabriel Rodriguez at 15, which is a new movement for us. Uh, let's keep it a little bit of a jump. Let's talk about that. Tanner Burns, 14. Daniel Johnson, 13. Joey Cantillo, 12. Um, Gabriel Rios, 11. And James Karinchak, 10. Um, who from this group do you really like to, want to talk about next? Um, you know, we skipped over Petey Halpin, and I mentioned him a little bit yeah. in the last podcast. Very toolsy. Um, I think he could potentially stick in center field. I think there's an above-average hit tool there. He's made some swing adjustments. I don't know if you've seen those posted on Twitter or not, but uh, definitely interesting. I suppose it's to get to more power and, uh, you know, uh, a lot of tools with him. you got speed. you got the arm strength. He just flashes a lot of above-average tools. And I think there's a good, a good chance he develops into a very athletic uh, center field type. Um, just depends on how he maintains speed and how he fills out because he was only 18 or barely 18 when he was drafted. So I'm very curious to see where Halpin goes, but very exciting pickup in the draft. And then, of course, also the first pick was Carson Tucker, the shortstop from Arizona, uh, a kid that really added some strength. And with that, he's added some power. The arm is stronger. He 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 just physically matured, I guess you would say. He's the brother of Pirates. Um, I don't know if I should call him a utility man or what, but Cole Tucker. Um, so there's bloodlines there. And he is somebody I think is very a very exciting pick for the Indians. I know there was a lot of chatter that he could even go higher than what he did with the tribe. Yeah, I agree. Tucker filled out physically. I think we we, we talked about that a lot on previous podcasts, especially at the draft, that had there been a, a full high school season this year, it's possible that Carson Tucker wouldn't have not even made it to the Indians' first-round pick this year. So they felt like they got a steal. Uh, same with Halpin, too. Halpin dropped because of the lack of a season as well, I would guess. But they got him in a fantastic range, and I know it took a little bit more money to sign him, but I'm definitely excited about all the tools, especially that arm in the outfield. And I'll be curious to see if he sticks in center field. But the tools are there. He's super exciting. Uh, we moved up Gabriel Rodriguez because Joe is really high on Gabriel Rodriguez. And Gabriel Arias is a guy that we talked about before. We're going to talk about a little bit. Maybe we can in this, in this round, but we've talked about him a lot already. But to me, even though Arias is, uh, has played at higher levels, so we don't know this for sure about Rodriguez, but Gabriel Rodriguez kind of profiles the same way. I, I see a lot of similarities in them. Do you think that's, that's accurate? Yeah, I, I think you're looking at a very similar type of profile, even probably physically, because I know that uh, Rodriguez has put on about 20 pounds of muscle since draft, since uh, not being drafted, but since signing with the tribe. Um, you know, I, I saw him face some competition out in Arizona, and you look at a 17-year-old kid against what was obviously college-age pitching, so 21, 22-year-old pitchers on the mound against him from the Dodgers, 
in, in the one game that I remember. And he got out in front of himself on the swing, but slowed himself back down, kind of shoved his foot in the ground and was able to foul the ball off. Did the, did the same thing. And I don't know if it was a change up or what the pitcher threw, but um, did the same thing later on and was able to hit a gap um, and get a single out to left field. You know, so that shows an advanced ability to adjust in swing. And that's what you want to see from a young hitter is the ability to adjust to the ball, even when they have gotten out in front of it. That's something that we haven't seen um, another talented young hitter that ended up over in the alternate site um, that was acquired from the Rays last year, not be able to do, which is make adjustments, you know? So to see a 17 year old kid do that against college age pitching, I, I think that's impressive. I think there's above average power potential there. So I think you're going to get 20, 25 homers out of that um, frame. And, you know, he's a kid that's still developing. I think he probably ends up shifting over to third base at some point. He has a, plenty enough arm for third. Um, but he he's a guy that's just had a track record of hitting. I know that he can uh, be aggressive and get a fair amount of strikeouts, and his contact didn't look great last year. Uh, but he was rushed pretty quickly from the DSL to the Arizona League. And then when you consider that he's facing guys – that are three, four years older than him and have that additional development against him. And he's making those kind of adjustments. I think that's an impressive feat for him. I agree. Someone who with more time in the States uh, is somebody else we get a better look at and, and can move up the list as well. Uh, the other guy, Luis Oviedo has been up and down. I like him a lot. I know you like him a fair amount. And a lot of other places like him even more than us. I just I'm concerned of the ups and downs he's had at his age already as far as injuries and as far as the stuff, you know, a couple innings flat flashing is, is number two level stuff and other days looking like, uh, you know, a long man or a relief type. There's, it's just been weird on him. So 2021 will be a big year for Oviedo. And then for me, I have Jose for me at, uh, at 18 here. Um, I actually, in my actual rankings, I have Owen Miller ahead of Jose for me but we had Jose for me to 14 in the March list and he was 18 before we, we reshuffled with the new San Diego guys. So we didn't want to drop him too low from March. So I do have Tucker over him and I have Miller over him, but I still like for a lot because I think there's some things that translate from his game that he can hit, has a good hit tool, probably a second baseman long-term. I, you know, he might not grow into a whole lot of power, but I did see him make some swing changes, some stance changes last year at Lake County and opened up the stance a little bit and, and, and unlocked some more pull side power. So for me, I'm, I'm a little more uh, bullish on his ability to, to hit enough to be a regular second baseman. We'll see how that goes long term. Next uh, grouping here. So we got through Dan Tanner Burns last podcast. We focused a lot on. Joey Cantillo, we focus a lot on Gabriel Rios. James Karinchak is here at 10. Ethan Hankins at 9. Uh, Aaron Bracco at 8. Bo Naylor, 7. Daniel Espino at 6. Brian Rocchio at 5. Tyler Freeman at 4. Tristan McKenzie vaults up to number 3 uh, in our midseason three ranks. He was number 9 in March. And obviously, it makes sense that we moved him up because he's healthy this year. And we've seen when he started the major league level. That's not uncommon because if he had pitched any level this year in the minor leagues and looked this good, 
we would have moved him up anyway. We just had the benefit of seeing it play against major league hitters. George Valera to Nolan Jones at one. Um, a lot of guys, we can, we can almost talk about every player at this point on the top 10. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on James Karinczak because we know what he is. So do you want to go kind of player by player in the top 10? Or do you just want to pick out a couple guys? Or is there anybody I missed in the last grouping you want to talk about? Uh, I, let's hit on each of them, but uh, kind of pick them out too at the same time. Um, so you, you already mentioned Karen Chack and the control gains that he's displayed this year. He had a little bit of a hiccup these last few games and then was impressive again last night. He should be graduating this list, I think, in my opinion, at some points. So he, he will drop off. Um, Ethan Hankins is a guy that was potentially a number one overall selection in the draft. Very talented arm. I know some people will say he's a number three starter. I think there's potential for a number two there. Um, I really like him. I know he's been um, sitting in the mid-90s recently over in Lake County. Um, you know, he's got some stuff he needs to work on. He needs to work on control. He gets a lot of movement on his pitches, you know, and I, I tend to wonder if it's better to just throw it down the middle of the plate and see where it ends up for an for a guy like him who gets all the movement that he does. Um, Aaron Bracho is a guy that I really like. I really like the bat. Um, he can hit from either side of the plate. Um, is a guy that will take a fair number of walks too. Um, defensively, he may be limited to second base and there's questions whether he even sticks at second, to be honest. I think the, I think he's going to slow down a little bit physically and, and, I just think the arm is fringe average at best now after the arm injury he had after he was um, signed. Um, but I think he's a guy that can hit for it like above average, talking about 270 or so, um, maybe 260, but also put up 20, 25 home runs. And if he shifts away from second base, he ends up over in left field. And, you know, I think there's still offensive value there because he'll be an on-base guy and hit a fair number of home runs too. I think for this group of 10 that we're talking about, Aaron Bracho might have well, – okay, George Valera probably has a little more offensive upside, but there's a very real possibility that Aaron Bracho uh, one day is sharing the outfield with George Valera and, and being two very good offensive outfielders, which we know the Indians haven't had in some time. I think Bracho has as high as upside of anybody offensively. Like you said, we're talking about a 20, 25-year uh, home run guy who's a swish hitter and his bat uh, might be a little more advanced. Like I know he's not, uh, hasn't played above high A yet, but because of how good the bat is and the plate discipline, I do think there's a chance that um, he winds up moving a little bit quicker. He should be at Lake County next year. And it wouldn't shock me for him to move, move quickly just because of how good the bat can be. And, I think his bat will play at second base. I think it'll play in left field. Uh, I don't know where else it would play besides that, but I think the bat's maybe anywhere. The bat's good enough for me anywhere, personally. So I like him from that list. Ethan Hankins, like you talked about, maybe throw the ball down the plate more, see where it goes. I will say this. In in the video and the pictures that's been out there, I know uh, Indian's perspective has been all over that with some videos there in Lake County. Um, To me, he looks like he's in better shape. There were some... People who, and not us, we didn't say this, but um, there were some people who were questioning the build of Hankins, that he looked like um, he was a little bit softer, that he didn't really have a a very physical build, that he needed to 
get a little stronger, get a little more muscular that, that, um, you know, maybe drop some weight in general, but in the pictures and video I've seen, he looks like he's toned up a little bit more. Have you seen those? Do you think that's accurate? Absolutely. In fact, I pointed that out um, to our mutual friend, Jared, that he had been hitting the Peloton, um, mm-hmm. something that he's worked on in the off season. And I'm not joking when I say that Ryan um, fair, I'm not quite sure the last name, but Ryan fair had him hit the Peloton in the off season. And he's been hitting that hard. And you can, you can tell that he looks thinner in the thighs and he looks thinner in the torso, um, more athletic. And he's also maintained that velocity too. And, and, you know, I was told last week that he's that mid nineties at Lake County. So I think, you know, he looks like he's in better shape physically. Um, definitely. Um, you can tell in the le- legs and in the thighs, but for him to also be generating the same velocity is encouraging. Yeah. I think the, the increase in his fitness, I guess, I mean, he wasn't in bad shape before, but, Obviously, you, you want him to be as physically toned as possible to, you know, repeat the delivery and, and just get in the right positions with the delivery as, as, and repeat it as often as possible. Um, and being as young as he is. I think that's part of the concern is he's six foot six and he was signed. They said he was about 200 pounds. I think he was probably closer to 220. And, you know, you can tell that he is more physical, um, that he is in better shape. And I think that will serve him well going forward. And hopefully he is able to continue to maintain that. Um, you know, as I said, I'm encouraged to see him maintain the uh, the velocity with it as well. He had that when he was a lanky looking kid in high school. And, and you know, he looks more athletic and he looks strong on the mound now. Yeah, I would agree. I wasn't really concerned with, with him losing weight, losing the fastball velocity. For me, his his shape really, he didn't really, he looks toner in the leg, a toner overall, but you know, he's got a big torso. He's got like strong legs and that's going to be helpful for him anyway. So I wasn't so concerned with the velocity, but um, I think the the command improves with, with the repeated delivery. And that's a big help for someone like him. And more athletic. Yeah, so he's the guy who, who could jump. I mean, he's already the ninth prospect on our list, but um, the physical capability of what he can do if the command improves with the ability to repeat his delivery um, certainly makes his uh, upside of being, like, you know, number two starter much, much more uh, believable. We talked about Bracho, Bo Naylor. So here's another thing I, I also ended up looking at. Bo Naylor got better last year. As the season went along, as a 19-year-old in full season ball for the first time, that's why he is at the top, uh, high on this list right now. Because, you know, if you look at the stat line, it doesn't look fantastic. But he got better as the year went along. He was facing older competition. We know the guy can hit. He showed the ability to go the other way. Um, But I also noticed that, you know, he had a good arm last year in, in Lake County and threw runners out pretty well. But when I was watching that, Joey Cantillo versus Cody Morris start. Um, I picked up on a few things. His framing was really much better last year than I thought it was. He very subtly um, bought Cody Morris, like I want to say two or three outside pitches that shouldn't have been strikes. And maybe that's the umpire not being very good, but the movement on his hand, he was just so quiet, so quick that, 
it just popped out when I was re watching that start. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the framing is going to be better than we thought. It may not matter by the time he reaches the big leagues because um, we could have robo ups by that point, but much better behind the plate than I, in my initial looks at him last year, it just kind of reinforced that I think he's going to stay at catcher. It's interesting what the Indians value in catchers too. Um, defensively, you know, they've gone with a lot of defensive oriented catchers. So to have drafted him as a kind of an offensive oriented catcher and you know there was talk of him potentially being a second baseman or a third baseman and you know also talk of does the bat drop off if he's playing catcher every year you know I think it probably was affected last year as a 19 year old playing against guys who were two and three years older than him um but to see what he did behind the plate and I had a conversation recently with somebody else who saw him and, and they made some of the same comments how impressive he was behind the plate, how well he did blocking balls in the dirt, um, just general overall things that are required of a young catcher. So for a 19-year-old to do that, but also improve over his first full season and full season ball is an impressive feat. And, you know, he's a guy that I think will just continue to do that. And I think all he did was prove that he's going to be a valuable catcher to the Indians in the future um, with with defense not being such a um, prerequisite in the future, assuming we do see the robo umps, you know, that bat will, uh, will definitely be beneficial for him back there too. Absolutely. Daniel's been out at six. Um, Not much to say there. I know there's been some development uh, there, but I, I think basically the things to note with Daniel Espino is the arsenal is, as close to big league ready as you're going to get from a prep pitcher. Um, the Indians worked on shortening his leg kick or speeding it up and he hasn't lost velocity and everything else. The stuff still looks good. I mean, everything you thought about him last year in the draft, as far as uh, velocity movement, secondaries command, all continues to look great. And they just shortened the arm, the, the leg, the leg kick. Um, it's not as noticeable anymore, and he's not lost anything. He looks like he's in great shape. So according to rumors, he was 96, 97 last week, and I talked to his high school high school um, baseball coach, Gene Reynolds, from uh, Georgia Premier Academy, and he told me that he was up to 100 during his session last week, um, getting high spin on the curveball as well. I didn't pick up anything else um, as far as information goes, but um, – Espino is a guy that I think could be the top prospect this time next year easily for the Indians if he hasn't even already debuted. And I, I hate to say that, but he, he would not surprise me um, to see him debut late summer next year because he's that type of arm, that type of stuff. And I know that would be moving aggressive, but it, I'm just saying that he has that capability to make that sort of impact. Um, you know, somebody that I think that could potentially front a rotation and we shall see, and hopefully they don't move that fast with him. But, um, you know, I just want to draw out the capacity that he brings as, as a um, starting pitcher. He's to me, arguably the most talented arm in the system. And I say that because you have a guy like Tristan McKenzie above him who, who has flashed um, some pretty good stuff right now, you know, Um, and he's been impressive in his own right. I think Espino can be an ace. I, uh, I mean, the stuff is there. It's just a matter of 
um, command and, and consistency and health. I think he has the stuff of an ace. I'm, I'm, I know there, I, I guess some of the grades out there don't say his command is ace level, but um, okay. So if the command improves with his stuff, he could be definitely, I think, I feel like he could be an ace. Is that way off? Do you think that's too much, too high? No, I say he has the potential to be a number one starter. Um, he is the lone arm in the entire system. I, I would say has number one potential. I don't slap number one on just anybody. Um, uh, as I said, Hankins is a number two. I think Tristan McKenzie's ceiling is a number two, and that's if he's able to reach that. And I, I have a lot of questions and concerns whether McKenzie's able to reach that or not. Um, but I think Daniel Espino has one potential. I would safely say he's a two, but I think he has ace level material um, because you're you're looking double plus fastball plus curveball above average to plus slider in the in the changeup has really improved as well. Uh, I'll say it's average, but I know he worked hard on it and I know his work ethic. And if you watch the videos of him weightlifting and stretching and him pitching and the long toss that he does, the workout routine that he does, he's a hardworking young man um, who is, uh, you know, dedicated to the craft, but he's also dedicated to giving back. And you can find videos and, and pictures of that online if you, if you look uh, for it. But I think he's the, He's the one guy in the entire system that I could say, hey, he might be a top 25 overall prospect in baseball this time next year even. Yeah, he absolutely should be. This this season probably ro uh, robbed him of flying up uh, prospect boards everywhere. Um, we did this earlier today. We flipped Tyler Freeman and Brian Rocchio. Not, not the same thing of Rocchio. Um, I'll let you kind of describe that a little bit, but to me, I still think long-term – what's that? Oh, go ahead. Uh, to me, Rocchio uh, winds up being a better shortstop defensively than Freeman. I think he just has better range, potentially a better arm. Um, but for right now, we flip those two. I, I still think Rocchio has got a, a ton of upside. Is going to, to, to be a good, you know, above-average hitter, gap-to-gap -gap power. Uh, maybe 20 home runs at his peak if he fills out a little bit. Um, just does everything really well. High baseball IQ. But there were there were some reasons to flip Freeman, even if he doesn't play shortstop long term. And uh, I'll let you explain some of those things. Sure. So with Rocchio, he has not been able to come to state side and face the level of competition that Freeman has. So Freeman has been in Lake County facing off against guys like Mike Levenger. Zach Plesak, Tristan McKenzie, uh, Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins, Logan Allen, um, Scott Moss. So there's Sam Hentges in there throwing 100 miles an hour, you know. So there's there's a um, concern with the level of play that Rocchio is facing in Venezuela. And we don't know how much training he's able to get. And there's a lot of um, social turmoil in, in Venezuela um, at this time, too, you know. And with those concerns and, and not seeing Rocchio get that, um, get that level of development, you know, to me, Freeman takes a natural step in front of him because he's facing that level of competition on a daily basis. And according to reports, uh, according to what Indians perspective has put out there, Freeman's hit six home runs um, in this, I, I don't know what to call it, summer camp, alternate site that he's at right now, you know, and he's shown added strength to his frame. 
um, definitely showing at the plate. I think it sh probably shows in the field as well. Um, he definitely looks stronger. Um, I know that Tyler ha has really worked hard in the offseason with a couple of other guys, um, Jonathan Engelman and, and Stephen Kwan down in Texas. And, you know, that was part of their thing. It was for the those three to, to um, push one another and to add that strength and that athleticism. And I think that may be what keeps Freeman at shortstop for a little while. I do think long-term that he projects better to second base, but I'm curious to see how the, the added strength will play. Um, you know, I, I really like Freeman. He's a guy that I'm, I've been high on for a long time. Uh, Going to have to take more walks, but he's already selective at the plate. Just a guy that's able to put the bat on the ball, and sometimes maybe he robs himself of getting walks because of that. Yeah, he does definitely have that innate ability to get the bat on the ball. And reminiscent of Gio Urshela, where Gio Urshela had great bat-to-ball skills, but he had a very hard time barreling the ball. And that is not the case with Tyler Freeman. Tyler Freeman has elite bat control, and he has such an innate feel to get to the barrel, to the baseball when he does it. He doesn't have to just swing at everything to make contact and, and play well. He can get the barrel to the ball. And like you said, it does rob him of some walks and long-term he's going to have to be more patient. But honestly, I feel like maybe it's a, his, his lack of walks is a, a product of the levels he's been at there. They throw, you know, they're trying to throw him a lot of strikes. They have a lot of guys who um, maybe don't have the stuff to get someone to chase out of the zone. So they're attacking him in the zone a lot, trying to work on something. And he's just swinging at strikes. I don't think Tyler Freeman only swings at strikes. And he, he did walk a little bit more in Lake County and that dipped down when he got to Lynchburg. But I think as he gets older, I know it's tough to project and it's tough to say, well, he hasn't walked at his age yet much. He hasn't walked a lot, but I feel like he just knows the strike zone. He knows what he can do with the bat. He knows he can get the barrel on stuff. I feel like he identify, identifies pitches better as he gets older and faces guys with more elite stuff. Uh, the walks will come because he's so good at, at knowing when he's able to drive and what he's not able to drive. So I think it's, it's tough to project and it's tough to, to say that that's possible because he hasn't shown it. But I think he has such a good eye. That's a possibility. And I'm with you that he added strength uh, that he is showing looks good. And as much as Brokio, we call, you know, his nickname is a professor. He's got a high baseball IQ. So does Freeman. And Freeman, I hate to use these cliche terms. Grinder isn't the right term, but he is somebody who um, I think is just going to get the most out of his abilities. He's going to play above his tool set. And he's going to be someone that proves everybody wrong, like, you know, we've been saying uh, second base long-term, not a lot of power. And maybe he's not going to hit 20 home runs, but, you know, he's one of those guys that works so hard. And I think he's out to prove everybody wrong and, and, and just play his tail off that whatever you project for him, there's a good chance he's going to outperform projections. That's, that's the only thing. I just look at that. I look at his makeup, and that's just what it says to me, is that he's going to try to outperform whatever you're saying about him. I don't know if this is going to make sense or not, but I'm, I'm going to try to quantify it so it does. 
but he's a guy that I think gets 50 extra at bats or 50 extra. Um, yeah. 50 extra at bats. Whereas other guys would get less at bats because he's going to put the ball in play. So if Freeman, if Freeman um, ends up getting 650 at bats in a season, he'll get 600 at bats. Whereas a guy that um, may take more walks would get 550. So let's say it was, you know, comparing him to Carlos Santana who get a hundred walks in a season, you know, um, but with those extra at bats, he's going to put the ball in play with the added strength. I'm curious to see where he goes as far as um, home run power. So I, I'll say that, you know, if he ends up 12, 15, I won't be surprised, but if he ends up closer to 18, I would not be surprised just because of the ability to put the bat on the ball. Um, definitely agree with what you're saying about his selection of the strike zone and his ability to pick and to choose. It's almost, he can hit the ball at will um, and put the bat on the ball when he wants to. Um, it, it's impressive to see that. And, and when you consider again, young for the level, and that's a pretty significant jump that he made going from Lake County to going to Lynchburg and performing the way that he did. And I think he was solid last year. Um, I think it definitely um, gives a, gives us a glimpse into the future with him. Yeah, and the makeup for me, I just full, I fully expect him to to outperform what a lot of people think Absolutely. of him. Uh, yeah, strong makeup kid, strict, great family. Um, obviously, athletic family. It's his brother is in the the Rangers organization, and his sister, I think, is a was a college softball player as well. Uh, Tristan, and he McKay- has a cousin. He has a cousin, Chan Freeman, who signed at Baylor, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. So everybody in the family is is an athlete and a ball player. Doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, number three. Uh, just real briefly, I think everyone's kind of seen him at the major league level. So far, I don't think we need to say a, a ton, but I will say um, he was throwing 95, 96. And I think he almost touched 97 in his first career start against Detroit. He has since settled in at... Um, you know, about 92, 94 safely. He's touched 95, uh, which is about where he was in 2018. So I'm not surprised by that. He hasn't thrown a lot of curveballs at the major league level as many as I thought, even though it's still his second best pitch or, or maybe his best secondary offering. Um, the changeup still has some ways to go, but for me, the delivery, everything is as advertised. I'm just so impressed with the slider in that. Um, I noted this on Twitter yesterday that um, it's not like a, a great pitch for him. Like he can throw up a strike sometimes, but what he does really well with that slider is he tunnels it with the fastball and mm-hmm. he has the ability to throw it from a strike to a ball. It's become a, uh, in, in less than a year of throwing it in games, or I don't know, you know, he's throwing it in Lake County in the alternate training site. It's a put away pitch. He can, when he gets ahead in the count, that's a pitch that can get a lot of swing and misses, and, and that's impressive considering he hasn't had a lot of time throwing it. The amount of deception that he gets with his frame, I believe it's an 81-inch arm reach um, from fingertip to fingertip. That puts him about six foot seven, and he's six foot five on the mound. And, and, you know, it's a quick delivery. He gets that extra extension and kind of coming over the top, throwing about and, and releasing the ball probably about his chin height. Um, you know, I, I think it's impressive to see what he does with what he has. So his what I'm saying is, is 
it tends to make his pitches play up because he's getting that extension. Uh, something that is coming in at 92 looks like it's coming in at 93, 94. Something that's coming in at 94 looks like it's 95, 96. And that gives him an extra bit of deception. Again, you mentioned the tunneling. Um, I like the downhill plane from him as well. Um, a lot to like with him. My big concern that I mentioned earlier is his ability to log innings. So he's going to probably be a five, six inning pitcher. Um, I, I wouldn't push him a whole lot past 80 pitches, to be honest with you. And, you know, I think the injury history and the frame, uh, there's not been any growth that's been, you know, we, we beat that horse uh, <laughs> repeatedly, you know, or, or pounded that drum repeatedly that he, he needs to add weight to his frame. He is what he is and he is what he's going to be at this point. And he is an excellent pitcher. I think he flashes two upside. Um, I would solidly put him in as a number three. And, and I kind of caveat that by saying he's sort of a semi-opener in that, you know, you might get four, five, six innings out of him. But they're going to be tremendous innings, too, I think. Yeah, they will be. I'll be curious to see how they handle that. But you're right. I think there's a plan out there that makes it work. You know, the Dodgers are so good at that with guys who maybe aren't capable of throwing 180 innings, but the innings they get from those guys, what, what was that? That was the approach. I think that, and that wasn't necessarily physical, but it was more um, stuff wise, not being able to turn the, the um, turn the lineup over as often, but um, Jake Odorizzi last year for the twins, he, uh, they were very quick to get him out. Like his, he'd throw five or six innings and they'd be great. And they just got him out of there because uh, his stuff didn't really play the third time to the order. And that may not be the case for McKenzie, but it may be the case for him physically. And you saw how valuable Jake Odorizzi was that rotation doing that. And I think the Indians could operate on the same plan with McKenzie because he has that stuff that's that good. And like you said, the innings he does give you will be quality. George Valera, number two, Nolan Jones, number one. So from the video we've seen, that's been also out by Indians perspective. Um, <laughs> Valera looks good. The swing looks great. Um, look at the stats and, and you can tell that uh, swing and miss issues were a problem last year, but again, no age to level. He was extremely young and also had missed a lot of time. Did not play a ton in the year before because of a broken handmate did not play a ton last year before getting to Mahoney Valley because of a hamstring issue. And then I think that popped up again, a knee issue in, in Mahoney Valley at one point, he missed some games there. So young for the level, but um, the tools are all there. I have no 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 concerns about the, sh- the swing and miss. I think that'll get ironed out. I think for him, the, the question is just, is he a center fielder or is he a right fielder? That's I, I have a lot of confidence in him developing as a, as a top offensive prospect. I agree with you. I'll, I'll probably just go ahead and put him in right field right now. I don't. I think you have to have plus speed to handle center field at the major league level. He doesn't have that. And that's part of the reason when I talked about Petey Halpin earlier, he's more above average fringe plus speed. So maybe he is better served over in right field at some point in his career as well. Um, Some guys can do it because of athleticism and instincts and get by with it. Other guys get by playing center field by natural speed and, and getting in position because they're able to, to make up for um, some bad cuts or some bad angles with that additional speed. Um, I'll, I'll save Lara 
probably ends up over in right field. And then we end up with a, an outfield at some point with Bracho in left and Valera in right. And I think you got two uh, high quality offensive performers there. I, I think Valera is just off of the top of my head, a 2025 home run guy, but if he hit 30 or more, I would not be surprised. Yeah, I agree. I think he can get to 30 home run power and um, is a middle of the order type bat in the future. And he has a great arm. So when he plays right field, his right field defense should be just fine. I think he has, I don't want to say all-star level potential, but I think it's, it's, that's, you know, where the ceiling could be for him. I think he's going to be one of the best outfielders the Indians have developed in a long time. But it's been a long time. It's been a long time since he needs developed a good outfielder, which I guess the last is Michael Brantley, but um, Nolan Jones. So we're reaching the end here. We've gone long. Let's, let's, there's a lot of fans that want to see Nolan Jones play now. Um, here, here's what I go back to. I think a lot of people see the numbers and they're really good. My, here's my offensive comp. My offensive comp for Nolan Jones is, is Carlos Santana because he draws a ton of walks. He doesn't swing at bad pitches very often. And he works the count very deep and he has the power. Um, so for all these people who want to see Nolan Jones at the big league level right now, I think they look at his numbers and they'd be underwhelmed because for me, I think Nolan Jones is a 260, 270 hitter. But you're going to look up at the end of the year and his OPS is going to be 830, 840, 850. Um, and he's going to hit 25 home runs. The only concern is, you know, does he play third base long term? And does he hit left-handers? I think those are two very big questions. I think the bat is good enough to play in the outfield. I'm not so sure about first base. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned the bat won't be as valuable. I mean, I guess if it works for Carlos Santana, it should work for, for Nolan Jones at first base. But that's more of a platoon question than it is um, overall bat value. So, um, for me, I think he play. I, I think they have to move him, actually. You know, I don't know what, because – he could be ready to play next year. And for me, Jose Ramirez is not leaving third base. So maybe the time is right to move Jones to the outfield because his bat can be ready by next year. Um, not to say he can't play third base. I don't think you're ever going to see him win a gold glove at third base, but I think that he has improved enough to be passable at third base. He's worked very hard to be a serviceable defender at third base and it doesn't matter where he plays because his bat's going to be good enough. Um, so for me, it's just a platoon question, whether he gets left-handers enough. I've heard uh, another comp that I thought was interesting, and it was uh, Jock Peterson as far as being a platoon bat, but also the, the Carlos Santana part in that, you know, he's going to draw a fair number of walks. And that's where you said that the OPS would be up there. Um, you know, I, in a, in a full season, I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 80 or, or more walks in a season, um, which definitely makes up for the for the um, lack of hits that or the hits that he's not getting against left-handers. That's where I think that he could be an everyday player. I, I because because of the ability to just take those walks. Maybe he goes 0 for 4 that day, but gets on base once because he took a walk. You know, I, I think that is beneficial. I, he's got a strong arm that can handle right field. Um, you know, I, I could see moving him, as you said, because Jose is kind of 
a cornerstone player as the Indians move forward into the coming years. You know, I, I think that the franchise is going to kind of change face, so to speak, with the situation with Lindor. And I don't want to dig too deeply into that, but Jose is a cornerstone type of player for the offense, and they have several years of control with him still. Um, I, I think that you're right. He probably does stick at third base. Um which pushes Jones either to right field or left field. And I would be comfortable putting him in right, right just because of the arm. I'm moving him to first. I just don't think he has the home run pop that you want from a first baseman. You don't want to take that away. But if you move him to left field, then you got to move Josh Naylor to first base. You know, so it, you have Tyler Naquin in the, in Jordan Lupo, Luplo in, in right field, you know, so there's some questions to be answered and, um, some stuff that's above my pay grade. I'll put it to you that way. But I, I think Nolan Jones will see the big leagues at some point next season or early on. Um, and I do think he could be a high-quality major league player for the Tribe in the very near future. Yeah, I agree. Uh, like I said, I, I agree with you on all those points, too, about the first base thing. And Jack Peterson's interesting comp as well. Um, they just got to figure out if he's going to hit lefties. If not, that reduces his value and – um, you know, at least the walks. If he takes his walks against lefties, he he could probably be moved down the lineup. Like, if you thought he was a four or five hitter um, against righties, he's probably more of a, a seven or eight hitter against lefties. If you could just keep him in the lineup and move him down in the order against left-handers, that could help because I think he'll still draw enough walks to be playable against left-handers. I don't think you're talking about a guy who's just going to be you know, run a 50% strikeout rate against left-handers. I think he'll walk enough to where he's playable against them. It might just help if he moves down in the order. And, you know, we may see some gradual improvement. He's in his early 20s, you know. Um, I, I think that should be mentioned as well, as there's time for him to develop. I don't expect a great hitter against left-handed pitching, but I think his ability to draw walks will help offset that. So I think that keeps him as a, as a everyday to most day player uh, against your premier left-handers, take him out of the lineup, let that be his day off, but bring him back in whenever that left-hander is out of the game, let him pinch hit. you know, um, there's way to ways to utilize and maximize the lineup that way. Yeah, I agree. And they have plenty of infield prospects to choose from when he gets to the major level. And if he's in the outfield, then heck the way they've developed outfielders in this organization you might have to play him against left-handers because you're not going to have another choice to, to play somebody else because there's such a dearth of, of what they've been able to develop. I mean, if if your outfield is Nolan Jones, Aaron Bracco, and, and George Valera sometime in the future, that's all left-handers. I don't know. You may have to play them all because they've they've struggled to, uh, to develop outfielders. So it may not matter how bad he is against them because they may not have better options. Hopefully they do, but – um, in the near future, that might be the case. Um, that about wraps it up here. We've gotten through the, the, the upper half of the list. That's, the, you know, 30 through uh, number one. And the next couple of days, let's see, uh, this is going to be released after the first half of the podcast. So the scouting reports on Owen Miller, Joey Cantino, and Gabriel Rias should all be up. Um, and as I said in the last podcast, be on the lookout for the depth charts we're going to put together by the end of the year 
going into 2021, be on the lookout for our top 10 by position prospects and be on the lookout for best tools. And then be on the lookout at some point, Willie will have a, a, um, a shadow draft and possibly some, some 21, uh, 2021 draft content. Is that right? At some point? Yeah, I, I am planning on doing a shadow draft soon. Um, hoping to kind of touch on maybe some of the other guys that were brought in, uh, Naylor, Quantrill, and Hedges. Uh, maybe you, um, Joe, and myself can wrap those up and, and get those put out at some point too. I think it would be good to highlight them. Um, and that's just kind of an idea I'm throwing out there right now. Um, I want to do the shadow draft, and then I'm going to drip out a little bit of uh, 2021 draft content. Um, but I really want to start building that next year too. But at the same time, I want to highlight a few of the guys that have really drawn some attention and talk about them a little bit. Um, but we will, uh, we'll build out a big board and mock drafts and all of that. But as uh, I'm sure many of you know, the draft was put off until July 11th through the 13th. So we will have a little bit of additional time to uh, build up to the draft. Um, but right now I'm just looking forward to see what the tribe does as we close out um, this, oh, Tim Burton-like baseball season. <laughs> yeah, that was a good line from a few podcasts ago. It's gotten <laughs> it's gotten a little better, I guess. We haven't had any, like, knock on wood, any virus shutdowns in a while. Things are progressing, so uh, we'll stay on the bright side of things. Be on the lookout for all that. I'm super excited about more draft content. I know the perfect game showcase uh all american was just this over this weekend i've been reading a lot about that super excited about that i'm super excited about the 2021 draft i think it's going to be another great one um so i'm excited to see what you have in store for the readers for that uh until next time for willie i'm justin thanks for tuning in again and we will catch you again soon